and I remember trying to speak fast because I like, I don't like books that drag, right? And I literally, in between the editing, I would edit out all the short breathe marks and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff to make it even faster. And then I learned that once you load it onto ACX, which is Audible, they actually, you don't get control of the price at all. They do that and they do it based on the length of the, <laughs> of the recording. So all the time oh, I was no. trying to compress it down, <laughs> I was just stealing money from myself. Anyway, it's just kind of funny. That is so really interesting. So I'm going to so talk this, super slow on the next book. <laughs> the the takeaway here is I will yes. talk slow. Yeah. So the length of the book, but then the listener can listen at, listen to it at three times the speed. I, I guess so. I mean, I listen to everything at double speed. So. You're listening to The Selling Podcast. Welcome back as we pick up our conversation with James Muir. As you might know, Mike and I are in love with James, his content, what he's doing, Please join us and help us spread the message of what James is sharing. Share it with a friend, like us, post this. James continues to deliver amazing stuff, and this week is no different. We're going to be talking about discounting. We're going to be following up about his book, The Perfect Close, and how to deal with a complex sale. All right, we're recording. With over 50 years and millions of worldwide traveled miles between the two of us, we have tasted defeat and relished in sweet, sweet victory. Looking for inspirational entertainment, motivation, and practical insights to drive your business? Welcome to The Selling Podcast. In last week's episode of The Selling Podcast, we ended with James talking about the speed of trust. Here is a little recap of what he said and where we went. James, 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 you just, let me just make sure I understood it correctly. You just said more touches creates more trust and I'm totally on board. You also just suggested that sometimes you don't put something accurately into the proposal so you could have more touches to create. Yes. Trust. Isn't that wild? So was that, maybe that's an irony right there, but let me, let me, there's some wiggle room there. So we, I, what we would do is usually uh, for the solutions that I've worked with, there are optional things. And so our initial proposal would include every conceivable option. Okay. And so it, yep. essentially I know the proposal's bigger than it, it needs to be. Okay. And so this does another thing. In addition mm -hmm. to creating multiple touches, it, it, it what's going to happen as you go through this, you get a little mini chance to sell every part of what your solution is as you're going, as you're line iteming through all of the stuff that's in the proposal. Okay. And I've seen this, I've had a guy come to my place that sold me, you know, vinyl fences and he did the same thing. It's just, he was able to do it in a much shorter mm -hmm. amount of time. Right. But um, when you show them the whole enchilada, they're like, okay. And, and then you would say, now, not everybody needs this thing. You would only need this in this case or in this case. And so I wasn't sure whether you did or not. So I threw it in here just so you could see how much it is. And then you end up, you end up line, lining out, you know, half a dozen things that they don't need anymore. Now this feels more customized to them, right? And then uh, in our case, we had to do training as well. And so then we had this conversation about how much they're going to need and how to deliver that training. And that part mm -hmm. can always be tailored a little bit too. So it might increase its size or we might change if it's on site or remote or, right? There's, there's different ways of, of kind of managing that to their liking. So in that sense, you know, I might've said it's all on site, right? Which is the biggest. And so you've done a couple things. You've built the trust. Also, there's a principle called reference point. And that is the very first dollar amount that they see is the one that they use as the reference point. So for heaven's sakes, folks, do not give them your lowest bottom basement price on your first look, 
Okay, because you have nowhere to go. You have nowhere to go. You can still, if you want to just give them more later, you can. But I had a sales guy that did this in one of his markets. He thought, well, I have this big competitor out here and he'd go lowball every time. And I think, I, I don't remember if we talked about this, but some people, when you're negotiating with them, they're negotiating because they don't have a budget for it. They don't have the money. Okay. But there's another breed of person that when you're negotiating with them, they need to win. Right, they're just looking for a win, and if you and it doesn't really matter what the price is, you could have it could be half your normal price. They will still want to have a, a little dance with you so they can win a little bit. And if you've yep. already cut all the you know all the the chaff off of your thing and you're at rock bottom, you've got nowhere to go to give that person a win, and they'll actually think that you're playing hard with them, right? And so you just gotta give yourself a little. And it's it's sad that. Um, that it's that way, but you gotta understand that we all have different personalities that we're working with. Sometimes you can tell before um, you you do the presentation if you're dealing with that kind of person or not. And so you'll know. Really okay, James, I do want to I, I do want to ask you the because you have a specific line when it comes for a discount, but it doesn't have to be discount. So in two seconds, I'm going to ask you for a line. Just for our listening audience, we are talking to James Muir. He is the author of The Perfect Close. So as we keep referencing the book, the book, the book, the book that you have to get is The Perfect Close. It's very simple. And James just glossed over in the, in the book, when I was listening to it, you gave certain bullet points of questions and it was so enlightening. I can't imagine how boring that must've been to try to record each one of those bullet <laughs> points. It was fascinating though, as a listener to be able to go through and say, oh, that's a really good one. I should put that one down. And very enlightening. One part that you're just touching on though is discounting. And when you're looking to discount, it's not just price and there's a specific phrase that you like using yes that's right so uh, and let me maybe i could tell you how this th this is variation of the perfect code is called something special and um and it, it it came let me let me just say how it came about how i created this thing um before i tell you because the, the sentence itself is very simple okay but I, I remember when i first started working for a publicly traded company as an individual contributor we were using a dry erase board to show all our deals. And I had 10 deals on this board. One of them was really close to closing, the other nine somewhere in the middle of the process. And uh, towards the end of the quarter, our executives call us on the phone. They say, we're having a tough quarter. We, you know, we need you to use all legal means to get, yeah. And so basically they were telling us discount, offer discounts to all 10 of these deals to see if they can close earlier, right? Now, let me, let, let me just stand back for a second and say, what do you, what are we doing when we do that? Okay, I'm sure you guys recognize this drill, right? Um, mm -hmm. We're trading margin for timing. That's what you're doing, right? You're thinking, hey, I'll take less money if you'll close faster, right? And you're devaluing your original problem. Oh, hugely so. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I am not an advocate of this. I think, it, in fact, it's my personal opinion that you probably only have 10 or 15% control over how fast a deal actually closes. Okay. It's really more about their buying cycle than it is about your selling cycle. And the problem that a lot of managers get wrong that I see is makes for hugely dysfunctional management out there is they think that the price is the only lever that they have to accelerate the sale and they use it all the time. And so their margins are constantly low. And that makes the sales, you know, the individual contributors commissions lower. It makes the, the sales managers commissions lower and it makes the revenue for the company lower. It is completely dysfunctional practice. Okay. So um, but with that being stated, in your book, you're so spot on though. Money now at the end of the quarter might be worth more than money next month in another quarter. It's a fact, but you, customers will never understand that. If you, like we were a publicly traded company, if we missed our earnings numbers, 
by just a small amount, it could literally cost millions, like like by a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, it could cost us millions of dollars in the in the market value of the company. Correct. So, I, and but you you can't explain that to a customer, because they won't understand it. I can tell you, I've tried it. I've yeah. tried to explain yeah. literally the very reason why that money today is worth more than the exact same amount of money next quarter, and they just don't mm-hmm. get it. What they'll say to you is, well, well, gosh, you know, it was Mike, it was worth it to you before. Why isn't it worth it to you now? And if you resist, you can see it on their faces. They do not get it, right? But think about it. The value of your company is really irrelevant to the customer. Exactly. That is it. You, what, you, what you're kind of saying is my shareholders are more important than you are in a way. Yeah. And they're never going to go for that. So don't even go there. I can tell you, I've tried to go there. You, you can't. And so I remember um, after they told me to do that, I did offer discounts to all 10 of those deals that I had on my dry erase board. And only one deal closed. And you know which one it was? The one that was really close to closing anyway. Right. The, the other <laughs> nine just decided to continue. They didn't say no. They just continued their process. And, and ultimately, I, I closed another seven of those for a total of eight out of 10, which is amazing. Right. But uh, um, on every one of those other deals, I had to have this conversation like we're talking about right now where I said, hey, I, I can't get you. know, They want to know if they get the discount they saw last quarter. I said, hey, you knew that if you didn't buy that in that quarter you weren't going to be able to see that discount so i can't i can't do that and it, when i would resist like that you could see the erosion of goodwill on their faces and so um i will just tell you in that particular scenario what happened was towards the end of the very next quarter i went through the exact same chinese fire drill with the executives <laughs> where they called us and said hey you need a discount in fact you know what they used to call it they used to call it being weapons free you're now weapons free meaning you can discount to close business right <laughs> and um and so fortunately i offered in the same discounts i did before and everything ended okay but man that process got me thinking good heck there's got to be a way to see if a customer can really close in the time frame i want without offering a concession and without having to give that concession, even if they can't make my timing. Okay. So that's how this was born. Right. And so the, the, the question that you're going to ask is, does it make sense for me to see if we can do something special for you, if we can get everything wrapped up by the end of the quarter? Okay. Let me say it again for the people that are listening. Okay. It's, does it make sense for me to see if we can do something special for you, if we can get everything wrapped up by, and then you're going to customize that last part to end a month and a quarter, whatever your deadlines are. Okay. And you now what's going to happen is they're going to say, well, what's the something special. Okay. And, it, and by doing it this way, you've never, you've not revealed that yet. And then what you're going to say is something like, well, I don't really know until I talk to some folks inside my organization, but if you're willing to do something before the end of the quarter, I'll go see what we can do. So what you're doing is you're an advocate for them. Now you're just telling them, if you like, I'll go see if we can do something special for you guys. And then, and then, and then now they're going to, there's a couple things you can do. You're going to ask them what, what they would value the most. Um, right. And then you're going to go say, you're going to go check with people internally and they're not mutually exclusive. You do both of those things. The only time you don't offer the first thing is if the force is telling you they're going to ask for some kind of concession you can't meet. Okay. If, if you've already worked with these guys and you can tell they're going to ask for something you can't don't, don't set an expectation you can't meet. Just go, just go with option number two and you say, I'll go see what we can do. And then you come back with what you, what you can do. Okay. But the, here's the surprising thing is I've been on hundreds of ride-alongs. And what I can tell you is if you do it this way, the customer will very often surprise you that the thing that they really want has nothing to do with the money. It, like um, like in, in our industry, it was very often around the services or the licensing or the maintenance, or there, there was all kinds of things that had nothing to do with the actual price. Right. And so uh, don't assume. Don't assume that the so, customer is valuing the price over everything else. No, because that's going to say one of the questions I'd ask at that point, if they said, well, what do you mean? I'd say, well, what would be 
most valuable to you as an organization? Bingo. Right. That's perfect. What would you, yeah. What would, what would you guys get the most value out of? I'll see if that's a place we can play in. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I've had people come back to me when I've done that, not the way that you prescribed it, but in a similar way. And they said, instead of delivering it all at once, hold it and send it to me in increments. Or if you can take back what I'm not using and then I'll happily buy, you know, at, at the current price, Ooh. which, which it's a win-win for the company and it's a win-win for the customer. It's, it just makes so much sense. I really liked it. But I can tell you guys that I have managed so many sales guys and they think that the price is the only thing. I, like I had a guy, mm -hmm. I had a guy come into my office one time and he's got a deal. They've already been through all the demo process and everything like that. And, um, and so he wants to close this deal by the end of the quarter. And so he wants to offer a discount to do that. Right. And so I said, well, just ask him this, say, you know, it does it make sense for us to see if we can do something special for you. Right. And I, I, and I actually had him write that down. Okay. And, he, and my sales guy goes, well, well, what's the, something special. Right. And I go, <laughs> we got lots of things, you know, we could offer them terms. We give them user, user group pass. I said, let's first figure out the timing and then we'll figure out what the, and, and so the point of this for the listeners is it's a two-stepper. You actually don't want to have a concession in mind when you go have that first question because you need to leave and you need to come back with that. Right. Because that's how you determine whether they can make the timing or not. Because what they'll say is they say, oh, you know, our CEO is going to be out till after the holidays. OK, you know, it can't happen during your time. Good to know. If I had just, you know, if I had just offered a huge discount right here, you would not only would you not get it this quarter, but you'd be given that same discount next quarter. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, and so uh, it, I, I told him all these different options and he goes, well, can we discount? I got yes, absolutely. That is one of the options. But let's just see if the timing works. So this guy, he goes, he gets all excited. He runs out of my office. I see him later in the hallway and he's looking kind of dejected. I go, well, what happened on your call? And he goes, oh, your, your question didn't work at all. And I'm like really what happened and he goes i uh, i asked him your question and then he got all mad at me and um at, that we, and was mad that we hadn't given him our best price and now i have to go back and give him create another proposal and i'm like wait a minute so he thought something special immediately meant a discount and he goes yep now i got to create a proposal and he leaves and it just so happened that we had a phone system that we were auditing that would let us listen to our recorded phone calls and i thought i'm going to go listen to that call right and so for training purposes, for training, yes, exactly. Well, this was even before that rule came out, right? And um, so when I get on the call, uh, so I listen to this recording with this guy, and instead of asking him, "Does it make sense?" What he says is, "Will you sign? If you'll sign before the end of the quarter, I can get you a bigger discount." And here's the problem with that: is that changes the whole meaning of the question. It's no longer about the timing anymore. It's about will you do my thing. Right. And, and it, it was just completely different. It leaves them on an emotionally um, different level. Right. And here's what that guy said. He goes, he goes, I haven't even given the proposal I have now, which is supposed to be your best and final proposal. I haven't run that past our board yet. And they don't meet until the 15th of next month. Okay. And he didn't say it, but I could tell what well, he was mad. But the reason he was mad is because he didn't think that he was going to be able to pull together an impromptu board meeting in two days. Right. And so um, and, and then there's an important lesson in there, and that's that timing issues are not pricing issues. OK, they're not. It wouldn't matter if we cut the price in half. His board didn't meet till the 15th of next month. So us changing the price is not going to change anything except for lower margins for everybody. Right. And and also diminish trust. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Because he has already given, quote, the best price. Exactly. So and, and I asked my rep after this, I go, 
why, oh, why did you change the question so much after I even had you write it down? And this is the point of the whole story is he said, I thought I was speeding the process up, right? I was, be I thought I was being more efficient by taking what was supposed to be a two question process, you know, it doesn't make sense for us to do something special and then coming back with the, the second, you know, of figuring out what something special is down to a single, will you buy my stuff if I give you a discount? Okay. And the truth is they're very, very different. So yeah, that one question will, what it does is it, it lets you figure out if the customer can close in your time frame without you telegraphing what the, what the concession is. And then if, if they say, yes, we can, like what usually happens is you'll get, the executive will say something like, yeah, well, I think we're ready to buy if it, you know, if it's good enough, if the offer is good enough, what, you know, what are you thinking? And so they will throw you the ball. They'll say, and then, so they're going to try to get you to give them a concession. And that's just when you say, hey, let me go to back and check with our CEO since the time it looks like it, and I'll go see what I can do, and, and I'll be right back, right? And then that's when you say, all right, well, let me just see. Of all the stuff that we could do, where would you find get the most value out of this? And then they're going to volunteer a couple places, and then you'll say, all right, let me go see what I can do, and I'll be back. Go have your talk with your executive. If, if you if, sometimes I'm I'm the executive. I know what I, I can do, right? But I, I come back and after having reverted to higher authority and say, okay, here's what we did for you. Does that look like it's going to work for you? And you know, the only, go ahead. Uh, I hate to push back on this because this sounds scarily scary, like a car salesman, right? I can't I can't make that decision. What else would it take? Let me go talk to my manager. And I hate that, but I like what you're saying in the way that it's positioned it's really not that though we're not playing a game with them what we're really trying to do is we're trying to determine so in that first question we're getting a list of concessions it doesn't mean we're going to come back with that list and so we really have to have a second we right most in most cases if you're teaching a team they're not going to have the authority to just arbitrarily make those decisions on the spot Okay, you could, I guess you could. I mean, if you want, if you've got authority, you could just do it. Well, what if we did this and this and this? Would that work for you? And then you could close it right there on the spot if you wanted to. But if you don't have that authority, and 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 then let me just teach you another thing. Okay, it, for my individual contributors, I'm going to tell you how to control your boss. Okay, um, if let's just say he says yes, we can do it, and they've given you their list of concessions. Okay, now they might be right on the borderline of the best thing you've ever seen for a deal. Okay. Meaning it's going to be hard. You got to go get someone in the company to agree to this. Maybe it's the CEO or whoever to agree this, but since they've already told you the timing works, you have what I call deal in hand, meaning this deal is sold. There's no more selling left to do. All there is left to do is deal making. Okay. And so when you go back to your boss, you're going to say, look, I got a deal. We can close it before the end of the quarter, but here's what they want. What can we do? I think that's a great distinction. What I can, the selling part is over. Correct, right? And so now what I can tell you is these, these executive managers have no willpower whatsoever. They will almost always give you the concession, unless it's preposterous. They will almost always give you the concessions that you need to close your business, right? Now, sometimes there's financial dynamics. You don't want to create a win-lose where you're the loser and they're the winner, right? right? You know, we all, it still needs to be a win-win. And sometimes that's the place where individual contributors miss the mark. They don't understand the whole business as a whole well enough to understand what our costs of the deal really are. But if it's still a win-win, you come back and say, look, it's, I can make this deal happen by the end of the quarter. We just need to do this and this. Is that something we're willing to do? And what I promise you, I've, just, I've been doing it for 30 years. They will almost always say yes. You come back. The customer wins. You win. The company wins, right? It's good for everybody. We're on with James Muir. You can find more information at Pure Muir. There's downloadable resources. It's amazing. I've looked through the stuff. I've downloaded the resources. 
and it's it there's free content it is fun go to the website check it out also if james is willing to give away 10 free audiobooks so if you email either mike or myself we will hook you up through well we we don't hook you up it's james <laughs> you're doing the hooking up but we will get you that audiobook once again the book is the perfect close and we did not even talk today about the two questions if you're interested in the two questions, we've done that in a previous podcast, go back and listen because today our whole focus is talking about the complex sale where we've spoken about you know group discovery, we've spoken about pre-work, we've spoken about proposal setting, we've spoken about special uh, special requests, special needs. Um, what am I missing? Anything so, else? So James, I guess really the question boils down to this. Do you think that there's a need to come back and present a third and fourth time? <laughs> well, James, what's your next next book? <laughs> yeah, so the next I'm working on one on referrals right now. So, um, and I, I could share some mind blowing. Uh, let me uh, let me just tell you one story, right? I don't um, I don't I don't remember if we talked about this before, but um, so again, I when I, I work in for a Fortune 500 company, and I'm a VP of sales for a region, and we were having and the whole sales force essentially was having this conflict with the marketing department about leads. And basically, marketing was saying, "Hey, we're we're generating all this business." And, and what's the classic is that marketing think or that salespeople think all the marketing leads suck, and that and marketing thinks that the salespeople <laughs> never follow up on all the great leads that they're sending. Right? That's the cl the classic con all right? the time. Okay, so what I did is for my region, for a quarter, we audited every lead that came in for my region. It was was almost a thousand. It was like nine hundred eighty some leads. And what I did is I had my assistant contact every single one of them and find out why it is that they originally contacted us. And what marketing was saying is marketing was saying, oh, well, this many leads are coming from SEO and this many are coming from the website. And and, and, this, and they're hot leads. Yes, exactly. And, um, Super hot. and they're Ready called, um, that, by the way, that's called attribution. How do you figure out what correctly you know, we should attribute the lead to? And what, what my assistant asked that turned out to be a super important question is she said, well, what made you go to X in the first place? Right. So if they went, if they typed our name in Google, then she, they should ask, well, what made you type our name in Google to start with? Or or what, you know, what made you search for that search term or what made you go to our website to begin with? And this will blow your mind. It blew my mind. Right. Is we found that in 74 percent of cases, we could trace that person's search or going to the website back to an actual other person or user or customer that had referred them to us. That is mind blowing, right? So real attribution was not this much SEO, this much website. It was 74% are coming from other customers, right? And, and so the, the, the takeaway is, and, I, and I, I would just you know recommend anybody perform the same audit on your business, is that um, from my perspective, somewhere around 70% of all business actually comes from referrals, whether you know it or not. And that is a crazy statistic, but I'm not the only one that's come up with numbers like that. Um, BNI, they say around 70. And I think New York Times did a study uh, years ago, and it was about 65% is what they said in, in that study that they did. And so um, that, and the, the, maybe they, they complement to that, right? But the takeaway there is that Referrals as a lead source may be considerably more important than you might have previously realized. The other thing is, if you go look at the data, what you'll find is that um, uh, the conversion rate for referrals completely slaughters every other channel that you could mm -hmm. use by a country mile. It's like five to 700% better in terms of closing. And yet so many people are reluctant to ask for a referral. They're, they're happy to ask for money, ask for the business. And then once they get it, 
they're hesitant to go back to that same person who's likely having even marginal success with it and saying, hey, can you think of anybody else who might enjoy this as well? Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. So there's some tricks there. I won't lie. I tried and failed at almost every way of asking for referrals that you can think of until I figured out what actually works. And so if you like, we can do a third session and we'll just teach the whole thing because um, the book won't be out for, you know, some months. It'll be um, maybe three, four months from now before we can get the, if, if everything goes well, cross your fingers, right? So then does it make sense to have you back on to talk about referrals before your book comes yes, out? Yes, absolutely. Let's do that. And, uh, and your, your, your listeners will be awesome. the inside scoop that has never, that, never been on any interview before. That's awesome. Some of our other guests have also provided some downloadable content. Would that be something that you'd also be willing to, got, to provide? Yeah, if I've got something put together at that point, I'd be happy to do that. <laughs> James, we absolutely yeah, love that. Yeah, he just did the add-on. He did the add-on. I don't know. <laughs> go back and listen to the first interview. He just used the add-on on me. I don't, awesome. If I don't keep saying yes, he's going to ask for another one. <laughs> no, if you keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was told this, yeah, that first no that I'm supposed to stop. That's that's when I start hitting it. James, once again, you're spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. The the knowledge that you have, but not only the knowledge and the theory what you're able to put in practice, the practical application of everything, you break it down so clearly. And it's so much fun for us because if you'll go back and re-listen to this, you'll understand that I asked a question and you like the question, yet you're so good that you said, that's really good. Let me go ahead and add something to the beginning of it because it makes it more comprehensive. You have a marvelous way of really breaking everything down in a great timeline with a series of actionable items to take away. So once again, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We absolutely appreciate all of what you've given us. My pleasure. Thank yeah, you. yeah, I'll hang out with you guys anytime. I, I really think you need to go into sales. I, I think you've got a match for it. <laughs> you might have a career in that. <laughs> awesome. It's worked. James, that, thanks it, very much. James, if somebody else wants to get a hold of you, whether to train their team or to take anything a little bit further, what's the best way for them to be able to do that? Best way is uh, would be to email me or call my phone. Um, but uh, if you want to go to my website, both those numbers are there. Uh, the, the the website, yeah, I think you mentioned it's puremir.com. So it's P-U-R-E. M-U-I-R.com. And you can just send it to James at puremure.com or jmure at puremure.com. Both those work. And uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and that's where all the resources are. So a ton of stuff that we talked about, although we did talk about some stuff that's not in any book today. So anyway, um, I just, we just riff whatever, wherever you go is where we go. So, and we absolutely love it. And I know the listeners love it as well. James, thanks again so much. We appreciate it as always. Great being on guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. We're looking forward to the next time.